Passion, drive, and patience. The formula for winning championships is also what keeps your ride or die alive. eBay Motors has everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance. Superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED headlights, and more. Whether you're into speed, power, or style, eBay Motors has you covered. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you'll always find exactly what you're looking for. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. With all the parts you'll need at the prices you want, it's easy to make your car the MVP and bring home huge wins. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. It's the Fightful MMA Holy Smokes podcast with Showdown Joe and Sean Ross Sapp. Joe, we're live! What's going on, ladies and gentlemen? June 27th edition of the Holy Smokes podcast. I hope everyone is doing fine, fantastic, as opposed to the terrible weather we're having here uh, in and around the greater Toronto area. It is Tuesday. Makes no difference. We're talking mixed martial arts with yours truly and Sean Ross Sapp, managing editor for Fightful. You can follow him online at Sean Ross Sapp. Give us all a follow at Fightful MMA, at Fightful Online, and of course, yours truly at Showdown Joe. Sean, what's going on, my man? You know, uh, the UFC was in a real shit situation on Sunday night, but everybody survived. You guys are never going to let this go, are you? No, and and credit to Justine Quiche for for accepting and embracing it. For those that didn't see her positioning or, or what's the word I'm looking for? I got to be careful what I say here. What did she say? Shit happens. You know what I would I would request if I were her, and this is legit. It, it, just embrace it. I would have Reebok make a fight kit with duty stains on the back. It's terrible. That's just terrible. Somebody Why? would buy it. Somebody would buy that. Somebody somewhere would buy that. They would sell a lot more than the Justine Quiche Reebok fight kits that are out right now, wouldn't they? I'd hazard to guess no, but you're probably right. They definitely would. As embarrassing as it is, yeah. I mean, the poor girl, she got choked. Like, she fought it. I mean, I'm here, I'm sitting here giving her credit for surviving the choke, for surviving the fight, and, you know, things happen. I've never seen that happen in training. I've seen crazy things happen in training. I've seen crazy things happen in hotel rooms when, you know, when we used to be, we were a lot younger back in the 2000s, literally the year 2000 when we used to travel all the fighters from the gym would be competing uh, i was working as an executive uh for the ucc at the time which became tko and whether it was my room whether it was one of the fighters rooms just come by put all the stuff in the closet move the beds and we would be training in the rooms and guys got choked unconscious guys that were training for fights would choke the training partners that came up to support them unconscious it would, they wouldn't tap and i saw crazy foaming of the mouth obviously but stuff coming out of noses and just odd stuff but what happened with you know justine unfortunately in front of the whole world people are mocking the poor girl i feel bad for her yeah i do too all joking aside it's a rough situation to be in it's a bummer (laughs) it's a bummer it is 
That's so terrible. If you're tuned in right now, don't forget, ladies and gentlemen, top right of your screen, we do have the live chat. By all means, you can join Sean and I discussing a variety of different topics. Fun fun story. Sorry to interrupt, but the first time I ever body kicked somebody in the gym, they shit their pants. And I thought, does this happen all the time? Like, is this what's supposed to happen? Like, I I, I didn't want to come back after that. I was I was really young and I was like, is that normal? But this was that guy's first day too, so I think maybe he just ate some bad food. Hey guys, we have visual changes up on fightful.com. It looks awesome. Uh I just made an error. I tweeted out the wrong link to the podcast. Just give me a second here because I feel terrible. Um one second here. Oh my god, I feel so bad. Here's the correct link, guys. I know you're all going, what, where, who, where, how, where? I put the wrong one. I apologize. Either way, I'll do some pitches while you do that. Fightfulpods.com houses all of our podcasts. It's going to be a quiet MMA weekend this weekend, but we got a lot of stuff uh, coming up on the wrestling side of thing. things. Uh, New Japan, G1 Special Night 1 on Saturday. Pacquiao versus Horn, the boxing fight on Saturday night. Sunday night, we're going to have the G1 Special Night 2 and Impact Slammiversary, head over to Fightful.com. I've talked to Kenny Omega, Cody Rhodes, Josh Matthews, EC3, talking to Josh Barnett tomorrow. Lots of There's going to be a lot of exclusives on Fightful.com this week that you won't find anywhere else. How's Josh Barnett doing? Well, I'll talk to him tomorrow, and I'll find out. Oh, you cracked it? Okay, good point. I got you. I got you. So uh, a variety of stuff to discuss based on what happened. Uh, we did a post-show uh, on Sunday night talking about Bellator, talking about uh, the UFC, uh, a lot of people on the chat on uh, Sunday night were like, you need to talk to Frank Trigg, we need to get Pearson on here, we need to get their thoughts. So a little bit later on the show, I was able to ca- I, I was able to catch up with both of them, but they'll be joining us here uh, to discuss a variety of things, specifically the refereeing uh, in the Michael Chiesa-Kevin Lee fight, uh, and Pearson going off on his thoughts on everything, which was, literally, I was in tears. I was in tears, laughing so hard, trying not to, trying to keep the whole media impartial slash bias or unbiased and just be I couldn't the, the guy's crazy so uh, we'll hear from Pearson shortly um, Kiesa his positioning was kind of strange he's pissed off at Yamasaki he's very upset about what happened but says he can ref the next fight in Detroit I don't care I'm going to prove it otherwise I think Yamasaki is the last person I would want to ref my fight if I'm Michael Kiesa I think Michael Kiesa really doesn't want Yamasaki refing that fight no matter what he says because there has been video that has emerged of him saying you should be effing fired so yeah I don't think he really wants that I mean how much of this takes away from Kiesa and takes away from or at least Kevin Lee the victory the fact that you know you can make the argument the stoppage was technically okay it wasn't but yeah. you can make the argument that he saved him uh, but it's going to be an asterisk on Kevin Lee's victory because, realistically speaking, it's not the end of the fight. Would have been, could have been, should have been, but it wasn't. Like, I wouldn't even make it an asterisk. I would make it like a, a tick mark because he was dominating Michael Chiesa before that happened. And Michael Chiesa is in that situation now where he hadn't fought in maybe, what, 14 months? or Yeah, yeah it was, it was like 14 months. So that means he hasn't won in 14 months. Now, fortunately for him... Between December 2015 and April 2016, that dude had made so much money that he was able to do that. He, he was he was able to be okay. Like 
I think he made something like 200 grand in that period, over 200 grand in that period. So he was able to take that time off, but now I'm sure he looks at this as like, well, that guy cost me half my money. This guy cost me half my money. I don't think he did. I think that Kiesa was well on his way to losing, but then again, it's like I mentioned, and I'm not saying this to make light of the situation, Justine Key shit her pants and got out of a rear naked choke. You don't know what Michael Chiesa could have done. We don't know. For all we know, there could have been a bumblebee in that ring ready to sting Kevin Lee on the forearm and he was going to let go of it. You never know what's going to happen until it happens and we didn't get to see it actually happen. So in that regard, yeah, but I mean, I didn't see anything out of Michael Chiesa that that made me think that he was going to win that fight or that he would win a rematch. But like I've reiterated, you got to fight the fights. Yeah, 100%. I mean, um, I'm personally not surprised. I mean, I, I put it in the article. I, I spoke about, you know, how impressed I am with Kevin Lee a long time ago. Uh, he's one of those guys that's been slowly but surely uh, making a name for himself with his performances. And the dominant performance he had over Kiesa, it was just, I don't know, Sean, if it was a, a situation where it was a Styles makes fights matchup, but I just think this kid's fantastic. He's not going to get a beat. I don't think he's going to get Tony Ferguson. I think the rematch is going to happen. Uh, And based on the amount of talk they're they're saying about Detroit, do you think that's what's going to happen? This rematch will take place in Detroit? Or is the UFC going to be like, no, not going to happen. You you were going to lose that fight anyways. Kevin Lee deserves somebody else. No, I don't think they'll do it. Not at all. I think they see Kevin Lee as they should. Kevin Lee was – Kevin Lee did a lot of things right. I don't agree with his his style choice or him punching Kiesa. But, like, did you see... Well, that, that's a topic. I'll go ahead and get into it. Did you see right after the fight when he's on Fox Sports 1 and Tony Ferguson was interviewing him? I'll say this. Negative. Tony Ferguson did not do a good job. It was his first night, though. So that's okay. It's okay to to uh, to not do good on your first night. But he would do this thing where it was weird. He, like, gave each fighter advice when assessing him, it was really weird. And he would stop and pause and smack his lips and stuff like that. Bad broadcasting. And he said that, like, Kevin Lee got DDT'd or something like that, which is a pro wrestling move. Uh, mm-hmm. Jake the Snake Roberts Jake did Snake it. Roberts, yep. And you can put people out like that. People have DDT'd themselves before. Who Matt Lindland, I think, did it. It, it happens all the time. It's why uh, you don't... It's why if somebody pulls a standing guillotine, you don't do what's called a northern light suplex and bridge all the way back. Because if they have a hold of you, your body's going to go with it. You're going to DDT yourself into the ground. Kevin Lee said, I don't know what the hell you're talking about, Tony. He didn't DDT me. That's a WWE move. It didn't happen to me. I slammed him. Can we get a real journalist up here? As it turns out, no, you can't get a real journalist up here. Because Fox Sports 1 just shit-canned a bunch of their real journalists. So my thoughts go out to those from Fox who uh, unfortunately lost their jobs. A lot of really talented people. But no, Kevin, you can't. Sorry, unfortunately. I like Kevin Lee. I thought he did the right things. He went right at Tony Ferguson. Tony Ferguson was like, yeah, you come back, you fight me, maybe. Kept smacking his lips. I was like, dude. What are you talking about? And Kevin Lee was just looking at him like, man, you're going to have to work on this, this trash talk thing, because he's 24 and he gets it. All for Kevin Lee, I thought he looked outstanding in that fight. 
he is one of like those shining stars in a in a very bright lightweight division. So yeah, I'm I'm, I'm all for him. Uh, I think he needs to move on to bigger and better things. So in terms of the division itself, it is a division, and I, I applaud John Anik for constantly bringing it up and constantly saying it that a loss at lightweight can technically put you back three years. I mean, it's a long time, but you can't lose in, in division like 155 or welterweight at 170 because of the depth in those divisions. Mm-hmm. So when you lose, you're in big trouble. You're in super big trouble because now you got to w- try and work your way up because there's so many contenders, so many guys in the, uh, in the weight class and the rankings that move up and down, and it takes a lot. Uh, and it ta- you know you're you're lucky if you fight every three months. For Kiesa, I feel terrible for him, and I know we can make the argument. And again and and again that, you know, he's probably going to lose that fight anyways, but he's in trouble now in terms of that division. I mean, agree or disagree, because now that he's got that loss there, it's going to be a challenge for him probably to get anywhere near title contention because there's always going to be that Kevin Lee factor there. Yeah, that's unfortunate. That is. And uh, fortunately for him, there's there's a ton of, well, there's plenty of guys he could face. And that's good because you never know what victory can launch you. Now, the division's in a weird place right now. Conor McGregor is boxing. Habib, Tony Ferguson, that fight has to happen. Both guys want it. It's got to happen. That's going to happen. Eddie Alvarez, Dustin Poirier, that should get, they should run that one back at all costs, run that one back. You got Michael Johnson, who, if you want me to be honest, I don't think belongs anywhere near where he's ranked. He is the number five ranked guy, and he's lost three or four fights. He's fighting Justin Gaethje. And that's just, Justin Gaethje isn't even ranked yet, Joe. Like, that's the crazy thing. He's not even ranked. So, Justin Gaethje and Michael Johnson, that'll be a good fight. But uh, he's tied up as well. Next down, you got Nate Diaz. He doesn't want to fight. Benil Dariush, Kiesa already beat him. So, like, where do you go? Maybe Iaquinta? Have they fought? I don't, yeah, they, they, fought, they actually, they fought, but it was five years ago. I'd be okay with seeing that one again. I would be okay with them running back a Kiesa Iaquinta fight from uh, five years ago, but once you get below that, now that I think about it, he's got a lot of potential fights, but not on the horizon because mm-hmm. everybody's tied up, and that's a good thing in this division because you want him to stay active. See Phoenix uh, just posted on the live chat Habib versus Tiramisu playing off the tweet yeah. from Tony Ferguson. That was that was good stuff from Tony Ferguson. I mean, he's flat out calling out Habib no matter what. Um, That's the fight that we all want to see. Hopefully we get to see it. Um, Don't know if we're going to see it anytime soon. Uh, I I I would love an all-lightweight UFC main card. They can do it. They got the star power, but that's if they can get... A lot of that hinges on if they can get Nate Diaz to fight. But you you can put Conor McGregor versus Nate Diaz at the top of that card, too. Mm -hmm. Like... Whether whether Conor McGregor's the champion or not, you put that at the top of the card, and that's going to sell. And then Habib, Tony, Eddie Alvarez, Poirier, people want to see that fight again. But yeah. I mean, Kiesa could uh, could fight James Vick, who just uh, landed in the top 15. That could be a good one. Yeah, I mean, everyone now people are talking in the live chat about Nate Diaz, because anytime you bring up the Diaz brothers... Uh, people want to see them fight. There's, just, there's some good points up in the chat right now. I mean, just send them over to Bellator. Well, they love Scott Coker. I know Nick loves Scott Coker. Uh, was very happy when he was over in Strike Force. But Nate, Nate doesn't want to fight because he got paid huge money and he wants to get paid more money uh, to fight Conor McGregor. But and, what are, they, they never, they never can decide on what they want, Nick or Nate. Like Nate, especially because 
He's like, oh, I want the money fight. Oh, no, I want McGregor. Oh, no, I want a title shot. Oh, no, I just want big fights. Oh, no, I want this, this, and this. Like, they've they've tried to get him to fight several times, but he can't decide what he wants. Like, he gets in his own head, and he prevents himself from making more money. Maybe he doesn't want to run the risk of losing again, because if you lose again, that could put that Conor McGregor fight in jeopardy. And it's probably he's probably more likely to make money off of a Conor McGregor trilogy fight than any two or three fights that he were to compete in in the interim. What do you make? So you and I, Trig, we've talked about it at length uh, over the past you know few months about eventually that money runs out. Eventually that money runs out if you're not investing it properly and having a return on that investment. I can go talk about that for, for hours. But how much of the story uh, with his former management company now suing him uh, will will – change this and say dude you got to fight because now you got some legal costs to pay or legal fees to pay yeah it could it could but i don't know how much he has in the bank he could have enough in the bank for all i know to to say to hell with it so i I don't know his personal finances i think that changes the game in my opinion i think it absolutely changes the game for for nate diaz nick i don't know nick nick's been cleared to fight for a while now uh and nothing on the horizon Nothing Same on the horizon. Thing. Yeah, right? Same thing, man. I just hope they got good people looking at their finances and saying, yep, if you don't fight ever again, you can live the rest of your life comfortably. If you can't, your window of opportunity for competing is now, and you got to fight now. No ifs, ands, or buts. I mean, if, you, if Nick comes back, who do you want to see him fight? Oh, God. Um, you know, I wouldn't mind. <laughs> Here's the thing. I wouldn't mind seeing him fight Bisping, but I don't want it to be for a title. That's a good fight. Yeah, I, I like would. I, I would like that. Maybe at one one eighty five, because which I mean, the thing is, you know, he's more than happy to fight at one seventy. Wouldn't mind seeing Robbie Lawler. Wouldn't mind seeing another one with Carlos Condit. Don't know if they would run that one back because of a lot of people didn't like that fight, even though I thought it was a good fight. It was a great fight. It could have went either way. But those are the kind of guys I think he's more inclined to fight. But personally, I wouldn't mind seeing him against a Masvidal. Wouldn't mind seeing him against. Um, uh, Donald Cerrone. That would be a hell of a fight. Donald Cerrone versus Nick Diaz. You kidding me? Hell yeah, man. How much time do you think Donald Cerrone has left in the sport? I know he fights all the time, and he's got Robbie Lawler next. I don't know what to expect in that fight there, other than these poor gentlemen beating <laughs> the crap out of each other. But God, I've waited so long for this fight. I think he's... I don't know. He's one of those guys that you can either see fighting until he's 50 or he could retire after the Lawler fight. That's how he is. Yeah, but I think he's going to regret not shopping himself around after his last contract was up. Because he just he didn't, he didn't shop himself around at all. Interesting. Never looked at it that way. Interesting, interesting. All right. Um... Felice Herrig. Mm-hmm. I want to talk about her for a moment. Um, I, I was, you know, it's not it's not an anti UFC crusade or anything like that because I love when when fighters have the opportunity to call somebody out, and she chose not to call anyone out because she says the UFC doesn't listen. And shortly thereafter, you know, the statement or, or the statement came out. So you can check it out at fightful.com, fightfulmma.com, where she basically, in a nutshell, says, "I'm not young and pretty enough for the UFC to promote." I respectfully disagree. 
I also uh, respectfully disagree. I, I don't think that's accurate at all. I think that her portrayal on The Ultimate Fighter had a little bit to do with it. She was a hard woman to like on that show, as was Carla Esparza. They they did not do themselves any favors. Uh, Joe, she's like what? Uh, she's a year older than Michelle Waterson? Yep. She's young. And she's they still wanted, young. I don't know. They, they tried to get behind Michelle Waterson. It didn't work, but... The thing is, like, she was put in a big fight against Paige Van Zant. She lost. And I know that's who she's referring to as Paige Van Zant. Yeah, but Paige Van Zant didn't go on a reality show and, like, kick up a bunch of shit with people. Like, now I understand that that's one of the things UFC wanted was people to get to have shit kicked up, but Paige Van Zant went on a dance show, did really well, yada yada. She also competed a lot more frequently than Felice Herrig. Maybe the UFC had had some concerns about that. I, I thought UFC should have gotten behind some of uh, Felice's other ventures, but her American Ninja Warrior thing didn't go too hot, so no wonder they didn't. But, I mean, she, was, she got a fight against Paige Van Zant that was touted. I don't want to say touted. like It was on uh, Fox. Mm-hmm. And it was on Fox over like Benil Dariush versus Jim Miller, OSP versus Cummins, Aljamain Sterling versus Mizugaki, like you you had Jean Vellante versus Corey Anderson. I think all the guys that I mentioned there have been like in and out of the top fifteen, around the top fifteen and stuff. And they were put on that Fox show. They were put on a Fox show with Holloway, Swanson, Jacare, Machida, Rockhold. She was given an opportunity there. Like I. I get it. Sometimes it's like that, and I'm a you know I'm a big proponent of Felice Herrig. I think she is far more talented than than most give her credit for. Often because of how she was portrayed, but yeah, I, I don't believe in that. And she's like, well, I see people that haven't worked as hard as me get those opportunities. Joe, I mean, we see that in our line of work. There are people that don't work that never worked as hard as you and me that, that get opportunities that we didn't get. But ultimately, you get what you can take. Mm-hmm. And you, ha- it's it's your opportunity to grab that opportunity. If if they don't give it to you, you make that opportunity, and then you run with the ball. That's that's you. Sometimes you got to pave your own way. You got to make your own path. I wonder what she did, uh, Felice did, to the UFC, or the UFC interpreted as you know what, not a fan of hers anymore. Could care less about her. Whether it was the reality show, whether it was something else that she did. Um, you mentioned American Ninja Warrior, or, or just the way she portrayed herself before, to the point where they were just like, you know what, we're washing our hands of her. Once that contract's done, she's done. Uh, she can win as much as she wants. We're not getting behind her. I mean, I know that the UFC was were just not fans of Rory McDonald. They're more than happy to say, hey, buddy, see ya, go. You wanna go to Bellator? Later. Now, right? Well, the Bellator would love Felice Herrig as the face of their 125 division. That is. That is like handing Scott Coker a gold bar, in his opinion. Like, Felice Herrig, what she looks like, how she performs. I'm sure she would love to just go up to 125, and she'd probably run that division. I don't know who all's in it. I'm going to take a look, but... Valerie Laterno's there. Yeah. Yeah, she's she's had a rough go of it, but maybe at 125 it'd be a little bit different. Um, Who else we have? Uh, McFarlane, she's good. Uh, Yankova, oh, they would do Herrig versus Yankova in, oh God, they Scott Coker's, Coker's probably already dreaming of that. And you got 
Lena. You've got some decent girls in that division. Um, you got some not-so-decent girls in that division, too. Heather Hardy's in that division. I'm a big fan of her. Rebecca Ruth, Carrie Melendez. you got some okay names in that division, but Bellator would love to sign her. I don't think... I don't think UFC will give up on her. She's like four and one in the UFC or three and one in the UFC. Mm-hmm. It's just interesting to see these fighters continually calling out the UFC. James Krause did it, or not James Krause? Uh, James Vick did it. Mm-hmm. Uh, he got a nice little sit-down conversation with Dana, apparently, uh, and it continues to take place uh, show by show. Max Holloway did it after he became the world champion. Uh, walking past the media row, just ripping into Dana. Um, yeah, I, I, I'm liking this change here. But I, what I was thinking about earlier, uh, and it, it wasn't something that Matt Mitrione said uh, at the pre-fight press conference where he said, look, come Sunday morning, the whole mixed martial arts world will be thinking about Bellator. Bellator will be leading the way uh, as of that date. Things are changing. Times are changing. And if you take, a, if, we, if we really dissect and analyze what Bellator is doing, they are slowly but surely, don't listen to Sean Pearson, doing pretty good. They're doing pretty good. They're doing. They're, they're grabbing fighters. And the bottom line is, Sean, they're grabbing names. They're grabbing names that the UFC is like, yeah, you know what? We're not, not interested anymore. Well, you're not interested. Fine, because you're building up talent that you've got that are probably higher caliber fighters of the names you have no problem releasing, but they still have names and they go to Bellator and Bellator will continue to build this roster of Names and name sell. Yeah, I'm, I'm I'm with you there. I don't think the world was thinking or talking about Bellator Sunday morning as they had anticipated, though. I think that that show, in large part, fell flat. You had a couple of title fights. Well, three. You had all your title fights, which I thought did not deliver to where they needed to deliver. You had Fedor lose, which that's okay. Losing in Bellator doesn't matter. Like, look, Chael Sonnen lost in dominant and embarrassing fashion and then won in dominant and embarrassing Wait a second, I thought, I thought Chael Sonnen submitted to you <laughs> in a minute. Jesus Christ. Uh, you know what? <laughs> you know what? I may start referring to it like that after, after uh, the way that Tito acted. Tito's special. Tito's a special guy. I love Tito, but he sometimes can – he doesn't realize – What's happening? It's not about you, Tito. It's okay. Like, just let it go. Sometimes you just have to sit in the crowd and chill. But um, I, again, this is a completely personal bias, John. I will let that stuff go because he's done so much for my career early on. So I, I, I owe a lot to Tito Ortiz, and so he's just sometimes, dude. You gotta just relax a little bit. But it's all good. Uh, I know you're looking at the live chat. And yeah, already, well, it's funny that it's so to, funny that I made this one seventy. Can you make 170? Because they've already got fights for you. They've got Nick Diaz. You yeah, can make 170. Don't be, don't be ridiculous. I'm, I'm 185, 183 right now. I can make 170 by by Friday if I needed to. Okay. So you've already got Nate Diaz or Nick Diaz on your radar, and you got CM Punk. I think both of those guys would beat me. <laughs> they would. Uh, say what you want about CM Punk, but yes. he has been training at Rufus Sport like daily for – oh. Like almost two and a half years now. So, yeah, he's beaten me. He's beaten me. Um, it was funny that, that we were talking about the Herring thing and I brought up Michelle Watterson because I just see that Michelle Watterson is going to be an ESPN's body issue. So, and you know what? To, to be completely honest, Felice Herring could have done that. She could have done that. And 
probably could have turned some heads doing that because there there are few in this in the history of the sport that take care of themselves better than a Felice Herrig. She is an absolute monster. Oh, she's a machine. Absolute machine. I know Jeff Kern uh pretty well. Uh and yeah, like she's 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 a monster. Like she puts her time in. Um yeah. And she could be in that body issue for sure. Uh you throw a fight with Nick Diaz if he landed a Stockton slap. What is it now? Would you throw a fight? Would you fa- like fake a knockdown or a knockout if you got nailed with the Stockton slap? Not with the Stockton slap, but I, I'd say it wouldn't take much more than, than a jab from Nate Diaz to put me on my ass. Yeah, Nick, Nick's something else, man. Even when I used to watch him warm up for fights and or when he used to do the media workouts, he would go off on it. Again, we, I think everyone knows. These guys, are they operate in a different frequency. Mm-hmm. But when Nick would go off and warm up, uh, I'm not saying he was Demetrius Mighty Mouse Johnson in terms of perfection. The guy just looks perfect. But Nick Diaz has skills. When he would warm up and he would throw – like he would throw these kicks, karate kicks, uh, Muay Thai kicks – just transition from takedown and just fake a takedown. It's just the, the guy skillfully looks absolutely beautiful. Um, it's, it's, a matter, double- it's a matter, all a matter of Nick and Nate Diaz wanting to take their career in their own hands, which, you know, after stuff like Sunday, I wonder, some guys can't take their career in their own hands. Like Michael Chiesa was losing that fight, but he had it taken out of him. He had it taken out of him. Uh, and you actually talked to Frank Trigg about that. And uh, we'll, we'll go to that right now. Frank Trigg, who is a licensed ref, who I think pretty soon uh, that the UFC is going to be calling on, saying, we need this guy because you don't hear, you, you don't see a lot of headlines like major refing accident and it's Frank Trigg. Like, because you'll see you'll see those clips all over the internet of like, Man, this ref left this on way too long, yada, yada. You don't see a lot of that with Frank Trigg. Uh, He's got a pretty good record. So let's take a listen to Frank Trigg and what he thought of this situation. Frank, let's get right to the point here. Uh, You are the first person that I thought of, and everybody in the post-event podcast thought of after the UFC OKC event. Regarding Mario Yamasaki, uh, and I know I don't like making things personal uh, with you and Mario because we discussed it. It's a professional thing, but we saw what happened in Brazil. Uh, There were jokes that he was waiting for someone's brain to come out of their ears because he wouldn't stop the fight. And then in this one here versus with Chiesa and Kevin Lee, he stops it without even seeing a tap. Uh, I thought he was perhaps gun shy, but I'll let you go through your thoughts as to what went through your mind when you saw that. Absolutely gun shy. That's that's absolutely what it is. But also, too... um... First of all, this has got nothing to do with Mario as a person. It's got nothing to do with him as a personality. It's got nothing to do with him outside the cage. I'm not talking about his performance inside the cage. That's it. That's all I'm talking about. I'm not talking about anything else. I don't think this is like a personal thing, but this is one of the things that I have to go through as well. I'm lucky enough that my teams are usually Mike Beltran. Excuse me, one of these one of these guys will be on my team. Beltran, Herzog, Bell, or McCarthy. Those are my those are my head officials. So if I screw up in the in the cage, which still happens, believe me, I, I still make mistakes inside the cage. Some of it's just mechanics, some of it's still um, um, other things. It's just like I walk out and immediately tell me what I did wrong, and then they talk me through it. I figure out what it is, and so the next fight, it could be, and I'm usually because I'm a low guy on a totem pole, I can be usually the first fight out. So the first fight out, I might have a mistake, whatever it is, I fix it. So when I go back in the cage again, third fight or fifth fight, I've got that fixed. So I have that, that ability. Mario's at a level 
that when something goes wrong, it goes horribly wrong, and it's usually the last fight of his for the night. So now he's got a couple weeks, a month, before he refs again. I've got like 20 minutes, and then so I have a chance to fix it. Mario's at the elite level. He's what you consider elite referee. He's doing the big events. He's getting flown in to do these events. They're paying for him to be flown in to do these events. So he's an elite guy. When he messes up, not only does everybody see it because everyone's watching it, but also, too, he's got no way to fix it until the next time he reps. So Brazil, he went too long. Oklahoma City, he went too short. It's also, too, knowing the submission, knowing what's happening, knowing what's going on. If I see a guy in an armbar and I tell him backstage, this is just me personally, I tell him backstage, if I think you're caught, you're not showing me how to get out of this thing, I'm going to stop the fight before you tap. And you, and you can blame me. You can yell at me, go to the press and yell at me. I've got thick skin. I will take it. Because I don't want you dislocating your elbow and then being out for a year. I don't want you getting your knee blown out and then being out for maybe two years, right? I want to make sure you're able to come back and fight because that's how you make your money. I got no problem being the heel, okay? But you got to show me that you want to get out of it. If you want to get out of it, you're really trying to get out of it, then I'm going to let it go until it breaks. But if you're just going to lay there and hope that I stop it soon, I'm stopping it way sooner than you think it should. Like, that's just what's going to happen. So I tell him backstage. In a choke, I also tell him backstage, it's a choke. Until I'm sure that you're out, I'm not stopping it unless you tap. Because a choke, nothing's going to happen. You're going to go unconscious, but you're not going to break an arm. You're not going to break a trachea. You're not going to break something where you can't compete for a long time. So I'm going to let it go a lot longer. So in that situation, of course, this is me sitting on my couch, you know, having some scotch, watching the fights. This is me. This is my mindset. I'm not, I'm not completely coherent. I'm not in it. I'm not in the moment. But I would have let that fight go longer for sure because it's two grapplers. This guy has been on his back for, you know, what, a minute and a half at this point. And he's already defended everything. He defended the first choke. I'm going to assume he knows how to defend the second one. I'm going to let it go until, until he's snoring. I'm just going to let it go. But that's me. Any referee should have let that should have let that particular position go longer because there is no fear of any kind of permanent damage going to be done in that choke. It's just not going to happen. Right? So he should let it go longer. And it's unfortunate for, for Chiesa. He got screwed. It's great for Kevin Lee because he gets moved into to title contention now. And he's able to call out Tony Ferguson if you – saw that post-fight interview with him and Tony was, you know, I don't, I don't understand. And, and, and this is just me being, and you understand this, the folks at home don't. When you're sitting at that desk and you have your shirt and tie on, you are an unbiased, neutral journalist, commentator, not a journalist, commentator. That's what you're doing. Ferguson went right into a hole. I'm way better than you. Screw you kind of thing. Like you can't, I mean, it's great kind of for hyping up the next fight. It's not going to happen anytime soon. Cause that fight's not signed. That's not the next fight in, in the cards, but I don't, I don't understand why, why folks would do that or allow that to happen. But it was, it was really, the, unfortunately, what could have been a great fight without talking about a referee again, which is unfortunate. And unfortunately, it's Mario again. And it's not that, that he's a bad guy. It's just that he's had a couple of mistakes as of late. But also, too, the lo- what, is, what is worse? Letting it go too long or stopping it too soon? Well, yeah, of course. So, th- th- so a couple things that come to mind. Um... There's a situation when fighters sometimes you, you know they're about to just call it call it a night. They put their hand up, they're about to tap, but they don't. Sometimes that fighter's like, okay, you know what? I'm caught. I'm caught, and they the the, the hand motion goes up. Then they realize, no, I'm not going to quit. No, this is not going to happen. I'm going to figure this out, and it's a fun line for the referee to determine okay here comes the tap but you still have to wait for the tap technically speaking even john john has always said people don't understand that oh you got to tap three times no you don't you tap once you tap once fights over now even though the guy's hand goes up that's basically what I'm, in my opinion when the referee gets into that sprinter stance and it's like okay uh, uh, there it is go 
In the case of a choke, especially when they're belly up, you can see their eyes and you can determine, okay, is he out? Is he out? But you still have to sort of move the hand to see if he is actually out because, like you said, it's a choke. There's no permanent damage. You're not going to get brain damage from that, as far as I know, based on the studies that I've seen. So what do you do in a situation like that where, you know, like personally, I know I'm looking for the hand to go up and that's my trigger to get ready to go in for the tap. So really a choke. He reached up to fend the arm. Then it, uh, Kevin Lee went to palm, palm the palm choke, right? So he's got that hand covered, which is the next logical step. Well, how you stop that from happening? After you pull, you shrug your shoulders and you bring your elbows in and your hands up. And it, it closes off everything here so he can't get the choking anymore. And he waited for him to let go, and he set the battle. So this is what, if you go back and look at the fight, this is what Chiesa did. He came up, or Chiesa did. He went up there and pulled it down, and it went, eh. and then this is what he's looking at. So when he's doing this, you have to know that's the next logical defense for that choke. For that position he's in, this is the defense. Now, if you're, un, if you're not sure what's happening, if you're at home, you're not really sure the grappling game or what's going on, always get ready to tap. He's not sure which hand he's tapping with. But if you watch his body mechanics, you're like, nope, I'm, I'm, I'm okay. I'm getting ready to, f- to defend this because Kevin can't finish me now. I can sit here for the next minute and a half or 30 seconds or whatever it is before I get out of this thing. So it's going to be okay, right? So it, it's it's a situation where a couple things happen. Milo's gun shy, right, rightfully so. Like he doesn't want to – there's nothing worse than being said you let a fight go too long, especially with, with strikes. That That is that is bad. That is really something that 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 is, is really frowned upon in the refereeing community. Like, we really want to not let that happen. But then on the other end of it, going too soon also screws a lot of people out of, out of money, out of titles, out of positions. He just didn't know that this is what you do next. No. You know, it's funny. When we were talking about the format of this show, me and you and Jimmy had a, a phone call, like maybe, well, it was a couple weeks before we started this format. And he asked, like, who should we rotate in and out? And I'm like, you might as well count on having Frank Trigg at least every other week, at the very minimum, because he's got that experience as a fighter, he's got that experience as a ref and an official, and without fail, at almost every big event, there is some sort of refing controversy. We can't get through one without a situation like this. Now, and, and that's weird, Joe, because I don't know that I've seen that many on the amateur circuit that, that I've been through, and that says a lot, that, that we don't see a lot on the amateur circuit, but we see one guy in particular repeatedly make mistakes, whether it's too early, too late. I mean, Joe, when I researched Mario Yamasaki Fightful on Google to add links to the story, like three or four popped up from this year. Yeah. Yep. I can't have, like, there was the Travis Brown, uh, Derek Lewis fight. There yep. was uh, the one from, what was it, earlier It was earlier this month? Uh, I can't even remember who it was. Johnny Eduardo. There you go, Johnny, Johnny Eduardo, Eduardo and uh, Lopez. It happens over and over and over again. And Dana White went ballistic. Ballistic. Now, here, here's what yeah. i got to ask you, Joe. Now, I don't know how the, way that, the, the way this exactly works out. They kept Big John McCarthy out of the UFC for a long time. So they have some say in this. Why don't they just keep him out? So they can. They obviously can. Now, the Big John McCarthy thing all stemmed from when Big John uh, started working for a network up here in Canada uh, when he began to speak a bit more openly about Dana White and Lorenzo Fertitta and how Zufa operated the UFC. Well, they got pissed off about that. Uh, And obviously with Keith Kaiser at the time running the Nevada State Athletic Commission, that just got really ugly. And that's why Big John McCarthy, there's a period of his career where he was nowhere near the UFC and nowhere near anything uh, UFC-related in Las Vegas. Uh, Even after uh, 
Big John uh, and Dana sort of cleared the beef and blah, 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 because um, Dana will always hold a grudge. But they did clear it. Everything was kind of cool. And Keith Kaiser's like, no, I don't care. I run the commission. Yeah, I thought that was something in relation to affliction. I thought that's why. Or, or oh, it was. He worked for the competing network. Well, then he worked for affliction after that, I believe. But, yeah. 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 I mean, at that point there, when the big show cuts you off, you still got to work. Mm-hmm. You know, like you still got to get you got to find work and blah, blah. But Big John McCarthy, who, you know, I said it, oh, my God, four or five years ago, should be in the Hall of Fame, especially the UFC Hall of Fame. Uh, and he'll get there one day. But, um, yeah, so that, that situation there, and the UFC can basically say, no, we don't want this ref. We don't want this ref. We don't want that ref. Uh, I think it's incumbent on a whole, and not just the promotions, but on the fighters, on the fighters' managers, uh, to get more involved when it comes to the selection of referees and judges because I, I don't get it, man. I don't understand how you are fighting, you're competing in whatever state, whatever country, whatever province, whatever. I want to make sure that the referee that's got my fight and the judges that are overseeing my fight know what the hell they're doing because if they don't, the hell away from the cage. Get away from the ring. You don't belong here. Are you certified? Have you proven that you understand the intricacies that make up mixed martial arts? I don't care if you understand boxing. It's not boxing. Do you understand what a takedown is? Do you understand that getting a takedown and doing jack shit with it doesn't do anything? Exactly. doesn't mean that fighter wins that. Do you understand the difference between a 10-9 round and a 10-8 round? Do you understand what a dominant fight looks like? Do you understand what a submission looks like? Because if you're a referee overseeing a Von Flu choke and don't realize a guy is about to go out because you think he's got a, a guillotine on his neck when in reality he's got a Von Flu choke, you should not be in the cage at all. Zero. The chokes are simple. There's two arteries that go up to your, three, up to your ear. If they get blocked, and it doesn't matter if it's a guillotine, if it's a rear naked choke, if it's a triangle choke, just pay attention. If it's happening, guess what? Someone's going to be going to sleep, and if he's not defending it, you need to know. If you're a judge and you're overseeing a fight, you're judging a fight, you should know better than to understand that if this guy was caught in a submission or defending submissions for four minutes, he's got one minute if that fight gets stood up to make back four minutes This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call, click Granger.com, or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done of defending himself. So in that one minute, he's got to be able to do something, a.k.a. get a knockdown, land some serious strikes to win back that favor, to swing it back. If you're a judge and you don't realize that and the guy lands one punch and it doesn't really do anything and you give the round to him, you're a dumbass. You should not be cage side or ringside scoring fights. So it's up to the promoters, in my opinion, to say, you know what, we want these. Here's the list. You're, you're going to give us three? Here's a list of six that we would we want at our show. If you're a fighter and you're a manager, you should say, I'd like to know who's refing here. Because, damn it, if it's Yamasaki right now, I'd be thinking twice. Like, yeah, you're going to come into the court, into the dressing room and talk to me about the rules. Blah, blah, blah. I'm going to quiz you on the rules. I'm going to quiz you, Yamasaki, and a bunch of things. I'm just giving Yamasaki as an example. But, you know, and I, it's, it, I don't get it why fighters don't take this seriously. But they get pissed off afterwards when – 
a fight happen or when a fight stopped too late or a fight stopped too early or the judges screw up. But if you know a judge continually screws up so many fights, if we were to keep track of all the different judges that have screwed up, let's say you got one judge who is completely just out of whack in the past 15 fights that he's judged, I don't want that dude or lady next to the cage. Not on my fight. So, yeah, it is up to the UFC, in my opinion, and all promoters, whether it's Titan FC plug, whether it's Titan <laughs> FC or anyone in general, know who these officials are, know who these judges are, and have a conversation. Because this is stupid. It's dumb. It's 2017, Sean. This freaking sport came out in 2003, November of 2003. Okay? Or sorry, 93. Excuse me. 93. It's 2017. Why are we still having a problem? You saw what happened when the NFL refs went on strike. Well, I mean, to play devil's advocate, I mean, baseball had been around for 120 years when Jim Joyce screwed up Armando Galarraga's perfect game and and did it in phenomenal fashion. Like, wasn't even close. So, I mean, there are always, there's always going to be human error unless you somehow teach robots how to ref MMA fights. And that, I don't know that that can ever happen. I don't know how, how, how that will ever, ever be able to happen. So, yeah. I, man, there's, there's not a lot I can, uh, not a lot I can, uh, address there, uh, after you, you, you went in, Joe. I'm just staring at my certificates because I remember taking those two courses, man, and the talk that we had and the debates. Uh, and you know, John was like, "I'm glad you're here, Joe, because no one's going to ask those questions. No one's going to, you know, ask this or that." And I'm just kind of like, "Dude, I just want to know. I want to learn. Like, I want to learn. I want to know. I want to know it all. I want to know as much as I can about refing and judging because I know from a broadcasting perspective. Uh, I know it from a media perspective. Uh, I also know I got a, I got a certificate in between my judging and my refing uh, as a promoter." I got a certificate in promotion, fight promotion. So I, I did anything and everything possible to make sure that when I speak about a topic, I know exactly what's going on. Uh, and for those guys that are taking shots at Todd Anderson, I get it. I understand it. Um, but Todd Anderson and I, uh, we're in the same course together. Uh, and I can assure you that dude knows his shit. He definitely knows, sorry, his stuff. I'm all right. I'm all wrapped up, Sean. I'm, I'm good for you. By the way, uh, Infinity 007 mentioned something earlier on, and I want to just bring it up real quick uh, regarding the Diaz brothers. If anyone out there can find me a "Don't be scared, homie" shirt, not for Sean Rossap, but for my son, let me know because I've been searching. I want to get because my son's—he's a mini me. He's a bit of a nutcase at times, and he's fearless. But I want to get him a whole bunch of "Don't be scared, homie" shirts because I wanted him to wear it when he was at school this year, but especially on Civvy's Day. Anyways, uh, Infinity Double Seven, thank you very much for bringing that up. But uh, anyone out there, please hit me up at Showdown Joe. If you can find me one, I'll pay you. I don't care. I need that shirt. Um, Sean. Yes. Apologies for the rant there. Uh, but where do you want to go from here? Cause Somebody see- says that the PFL, the former WSOF, has their first event this week. And I'm going to be honest, as a guy who covers MMA, I didn't know. I had yeah. no idea. Uh, I'm going to look at the card, but I do have some information. They are going to be at the Arnold Classic next year. Uh, like I had been told that it wasn't going back there. WWE had a very successful run there for years at the Arnold Classic. Everybody seemed to enjoy it, but they didn't go back there. The PFL will be uh, at the Arnold Classic next year. Is smart. The U.S. The UFC. used to but then i'm looking i'm looking at this card that 
PFL's running this weekend, Joe. Mm-hmm. It ain't bad. You got John Fitch versus Brian Foster as the main event. That's pretty solid for them for a show that I didn't know. I can't pronounce Rama's first name. Smelio Rama against Ron, uh, Ronnie Marks. Zeferino against Herman Torado. That's an okay fight. But Jason High against uh, Fedor, not Fedor Emelianenko. <laughs> yes, Curry absolutely. Fedor. Not, not a bad show for one that I didn't know existed. Yeah, the UFC used to always go, because I remember I've been to the Arnold Classic, uh, and it was a huge event, uh, and I think it was, uh, sorry, I'm looking back because I want to make sure I got the right fight. It was Dan Henderson versus um, Anderson Silva, yes. Uh, so I was there, yeah, Columbus. So I was, I, I've experienced the Arnold uh, Classic, uh, got to see or meet Arnold real quick, like really quick. Um, but yeah, it, it, it was a big, big event. Like you got a lot of testosterone there, man. Fitness models, guys, guys, girls working out crazy competitions, but the UFC took advantage of it. Uh, and I don't know why they're not there anymore. Uh, I, I, I'll give you an example. I'll, I'll, I'll give you a reason perhaps why strike force, um, WSOF or just in general, is it because perhaps the Arnold Classic isn't as big as it used to be? I don't know. I haven't been to one in about three years, four oh, they years. Did, they did 200K uh, last year. It was it was packed. It was the most packed I've ever seen it last year. And You can capitalize on that, man. They, they drew 17,000 in Nationwide Arena in 2009 for Rampage Jackson versus Keith Jardine. Yeah, man. Keith Jardine main eventing the show. And they drew 17,000. Now, they, the attendance for the Rousey-Tate first fight wasn't that high. I remember. But um, I think I just thought that was a little weird. They did 16,000 for UFC 82. They did 19,000 for UFC 68. I mean, that those are damn good numbers, Joe. You don't see attendances like that anymore. So it brings me back to a conversation you and I had when we first started the podcast last year, uh, just in general for the UFC and going international uh, and how, in my opinion, don't mess up something that's good unless you've got proof that it's garbage. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, w- what happened in Canada in general, uh, whether it's Vancouver, whether it's Calgary, uh, to this day, I still have no idea why they haven't returned to Winnipeg. Because they had such a great turnout uh, in Winnipeg. The only thing they didn't get in Winnipeg was media. They didn't have a lot of media covering the event. Uh, that I recall. Toronto became a situation where, you know, from 55,000 to 21,000 to 17,000, if I'm not mistaken. So the, 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 the luster. But Toronto is, you know, I'm, I'm born and raised in Toronto. I totally understand that Toronto is a, a city where they'll only go with what's hot. And they'll ride the what's hot wave until the next hot thing comes to town. It's always been like that. If you're not an A-class, if you're not the Toronto Maple Leafs, the Toronto Blue Jays, the Toronto Raptors, good luck. Uh, You really have to build it. The Toronto FC have built it. The UFC got 55,000 people at the Rogers Center, uh, a locale that you'll be uh, familiar with real soon uh, in a couple weeks. Can't wait. Uh, I, I feel like informing the authorities that you, Jimmy Van, and myself will be in the same area of Toronto at the same time. I, I don't, you know, that might be our last podcast that week. <laughs> at least with one of us not incarcerated. Oh, um, in, in terms of the UFC, so for example, uh, to go back to this Arnold Columbus thing, they were doing so well there. Why stop? You need to make that a tentpole event every year. Well, they, they, every stopped, year. 
They stopped in 2010, and then Strike Force was like, oh, then we'll do it. And they drew, like, 7,000 for Feijiao versus Henderson, which, that ain't a very good card. Feijiao versus Henderson, and Kunin versus Carmouche, Kennedy, Manhuff, Masvidal, that's that's not putting asses in the seats. They they, And that's with Brian Rogers and Roger Bowling there to help, and, and Gurgel, because Gurgel's big in, in Ohio, or was big in Ohio. They did Tate versus Rousey. It didn't do too hot either, and that's a little misleading because that was Ronda Rousey's first big, big fight. I think they should go back there. I think I really think they should give it a go and really capitalize off that, especially if, if you're trying to attract big, giant crowds. Why not? I, I thought the name of the game was making money. I yeah. think that's guaranteed money. You know, that's Or as, as uh, Masvidal says, hashtag easy money, in my opinion. You know, I mean, here I am wishing I could hold events here uh, in Toronto. Uh, I get asked about it quite frequently if I'm willing to go back to promoting events. And my answer is yes, just not here. You can't. You can't do it here. Meanwhile, in in, in Columbus, they can do it no problem. No problem. So it's, it's just it's weird how, how the UFC does things sometimes. But um, it is what it is. Uh, it's all done. Uh, why doesn't Bellator go there? Maybe they will. It'd be it, it'd be smart. It'd be smart to run like an event like they just did in Columbus at uh, during during the Arnold. But, I think it'd be very smart. I wonder if they're allowed to because Viacom's a New York company. Yeah. <laughs> what did you think of that? Though? Did we talk about that? The shot they, that they Kevin took, they took a few little shots. Yeah. I, like We're not it. a Las Vegas-based company. We're a New York-based company. The greatest promoter of all time, Scott Coker. Um, okay. What else did Kevin? And then, and then Dana, or then um, Scott comes out and says, "You know, we need to thank Kevin K for mainstream mixed martial arts because if it wasn't for him, the Ultimate Fighter would have never taken place." And I'm like, "Whoa! These darts are flying everywhere." I mean, what did you think of all that? Scott Coker is not a top five promoter in the world now. Much less the best of all time. Like, come on. You got Mayweather promotions out there and Golden Boy promotions. You got Dana White. You even got a Vince McMahon. You got uh, New Japan Pro Wrestling that does very well. Bellator isn't even, like, Scott Coker isn't even a top five promoter across platform right now. That's how I feel about that. A lot of questions being asked of Bellator right now on the live chat. Don't forget, guys, girls, live chat, top right of your screen, Finley Double Seven. Once again, do you think Bellator will ever catch up to the UFC? My answer is no. Uh, I don't think it'll happen. I think they'll. I think they're slowly, and if Viacom's behind them on the correct path to really being competition for the UFC. I mean, the biggest competition the UFC ever had was back when Pride was actually bigger than the UFC. Uh, well, they squashed that real quick by buying Pride, and sort of Pride killed themselves uh, with what happened. Well, Can- and the UFC was still growing at that point too. Like they they had the name recognition of being like the first somewhat mainstream promotion, but after the Ultimate Fighter kicked off, I think the UFC was going to take it over anyway. I mean, they were they were bound to because Pride closed their doors not not terribly too long after uh, the Ultimate Fighter, maybe a year and All a half. Right. The Lone Wolf says WME too stupid to do that in terms of going back and figuring out that they should be going to places like Columbus. I don't know if they're too stupid. I think they're they're too. That's what I'm looking for. Not disengaged, but 
the UC isn't their biggest priority. It is, but it's not. Mm-hmm. They've got other things to handle. So they've got people that are running the UFC that may already made the decisions not to go to Columbus. Um, disconnected is the word I'm looking for. Um, the UFC should go back to these places where they const- constantly have mm-hmm. big attractions. And you and I talked about the fact that why would they, would they be going to Detroit in such a cold time in December? Like these these yeah, winter so states, weird. winter states and Canadian events, unless it's Vancouver, need to happen in the spring, summer, fall, not in the dead of winter. You can go to L.A. anytime. Like, yeah, WWE used to run SummerSlam in L.A. And I'm like, why? And they did it every year. Now they started to run it in New York, which is the smart thing to do. You can run the summer in the city type of gimmick and you've got it as a New York staple. I've never understood that. Like, yeah, just, just yeah. Oh, um, and uh, we like people keep talking about in our chat, like how they're letting guys like Rory walk. Ultimately, are they going to be worth as much to the UFC as what Bellator is offering? Who knows? That's that's tough to quantify. It's tough to measure for for WM, WME at least because a lot of these people they've let go, they didn't have a chance to look at. Yeah, kind of true. Uh, the value of any fighter to the UFC is extremely important because you got to take a look at what return can we get by co-promoting. Because the reality is you're co-promoting when you're with the UFC, mm-hmm. right? The UFC is going to get behind you if you know what you're doing, a.k.a. Conor McGregor, Ronda Rousey. You know, these, these are fighters you catch sometimes lightning in a bottle. Uh, but it's still up to you to, 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 to promote. I mean, I would love to see them get behind um, Elias Theodoro. I mean, that guy there has got superstar written all over him, uh, but they may look at him and say, well, he's got an awkward style when he competes, not just yet, blah, blah. But if if, if he continues his quiet run up the rankings, don't be surprised uh, if they get behind him. You know why? Because in Canada, I'm not sure if you ever heard of this guy. His name was George St. Pierre. Uh, it was a pretty big fighter. Who'd he ever uh, beat? Yeah, he, he had a pretty big uh, career. Uh, but the one thing about George St. Pierre, and this is not coming from my mouth, this this is when I was working over at Sportsnet. The amount of women that were paying attention to George St. Pierre. Go back to Oscar De La Hoya when he was in his prime. The amount of women that would tune in to watch Oscar De La Hoya with the baby eyes and blah, blah. You want to bring in women? Okay? You want to bring in women to the sport? The good-looking guys are going to do it. And I cannot tell you the, the craziness that George St. Pierre, Patrick Cote, Okay, these are guys that I would be with. Doesn't matter what city we were in, and I can tell you they had a lot of fans that were not just male. Okay, Elias Theodoro, this guy's been on cover of romance novels. He calls himself a video vixen. He was in an Ariana Grande video. Uh, the, the the long hair, the Pert Plus sponsorship. I mean, this is a guy that has the opportunity to be a big superstar for the UFC, if not just in Canada. Right, so getting back, and he'll do anything. He'll he'll promote. Like you can see that what he does on his social media, he promotes himself like crazy. My counter argument to that is Rory McDonald. Yeah, nothing. Well, you know I had. Who, you know who thinks a lot of Rory McDonald? <laughs> Our boy Sean Pearson. And you mentioned paying attention earlier. Sean Pearson does none of that. As you talk to him this week about Bellator and UFC. I know for a fact that you enjoyed that Bellator card uh, on Saturday. What did you think of it? Didn't even watch it, my friend. <laughs> Why didn't you watch it? It's Bellator. 
did Roy McDonald fight? If Roy McDonald didn't fight, I had no interest in seeing it. So you have no interest with the, uh, I think you called them the old guys, or the not the retirement home, but you don't have no interest in any of these guys competing. Well, I already knew it was going to happen. Fedor is pushing 80. Um, he's a legend. It's sad to see. Mitrione's a lower-skilled guy that hits like a truck, and what happened? They hit each other. They both fell down, and what's that? I've fallen, and I can't get up. If anybody's old like me remembers that old commercial, I think it was like Alarm Force or something. I've fallen, and I can't get up. Well, Mitrione was a little bit younger, and he got up and won the fight. Fair enough. Uh, did you get anything out of Chael Sonnen versus Vanderlei Silva? No. Who wants to watch that fight, honestly? Vanderlei Silva is so far beyond brain damage, which is a sad sight. Like, I stopped watching him and taking him seriously when he started putting those videos out where he puts the lights low and then started yelling at the UFC. Like, he's just he's off his rocker. So watching him fight and make this fake beef with Sil- or Sona is just laughable to me. In terms of Sonnen, though, uh, I know I've known you for a long time, and you've got no problem speaking your mind and, and doing your thing. Do you get any enjoyment out of Sonnen when he starts cutting these promos? To be honest with you, they're getting old to me. I don't know. Like, I've always enjoyed watching him fight. I've always enjoyed – well, actually, I've enjoyed more watching him talk because watching him fight's never really been the, the funnest thing. But his promos have been amazing. But it's just the same chic. It's, it's, it's gotten old on me. Like, you know what I mean? I just feel like – the American gangster is just, he's got to change it up or do something or yeah, it's, you know, him calling out Fedor now. I'm like, well, way to go, buddy. Like good job champ. But like after he did that spinning back fist, that, you know, form of athletic ability against Silva back in the day, I was just sort of, I realized I'm like, hmm. he's more talk than skill. Like again, tough guy. He had his, he had his role in this, in this world of MMA, but he's got to move on to and just be a broadcaster. Uh, did you get a chance at all to watch Douglas Lima versus Lorenz Larkin? Any highlights at all? I watched the highlights, yeah. All right. Now, Douglas Lima, in my opinion, is one of the most underrated 170-pounders in this game. And a UFC guy comes over, gives him a good test, but he emerges victorious. I mean, now, did you get anything out of the highlights that you saw? I get that he's going to take a beating from Roy McDonald, but other than that, I'm not sure. You think Rory's going to take him out fairly easily, or is it going to go yeah. five? Yeah, if it goes five, it's five rounds for Rory. I think Rory's going to lay a beating on him. Understood. Ryan Bader, Phil Davis did their rematch, and it was similar to their first one. wasn't exactly the most exciting fight ever. Yeah, no one cares about either of those two guys. <laughs> okay. Phil Davis is a great guy. So when I say cares for care, care watch a fight anymore, great guy. I remember I did a shoot promo with him. He's funny as hell. Me and him, uh, I think we signed autographs at uh, Athletes World. Funny guy, loved him. But watching him fight right now, not interested. Not interested. Did you get a chance to watch the UFC event on Sunday night? Um, yeah, because it was free on TV, and you know, so I watched it. <laughs> it's free on TV. <laughs> what did you? I mean, there, there's a bunch of things to discuss with that. Obviously, the main event with Mario Yamazaki. Um, what did you think of the stoppage? I think Mario Yamazaki saved uh, Chisa Chizo, whatever, about 800 brain cells. He was unconscious. I don't know who's kidding who here. I get he didn't tap, so I get why he's upset. But his arms went limp. If he holds that choke on another second longer, it's full sleep mode. So I get it. Let him go out on his badge. Let him be a warrior. But he was going to sleep. Okay? There's no – if your hands aren't touching Lee's body, it means you're not trying to defend it anymore. You're going to sleep. So I just feel like he saved him a bunch of brain cells and we're making Mario Ant to be this villain. But, again, he didn't tap, but he was going to sleep. Fair enough. Johnny Hendricks uh, could make weight at 170. Could make weight at 185 uh, and then gets TKO'd via head kick by Tim Boach. Is that sort of the MMA god stepping in and saying, get out? Or what did you think? 
that's him hasn't been the same since USADA and I don't know, like, you know, no offense to Johnny. And again, we all get a little pudgy, but he didn't look in shape or ready for that fight, you know, looking around the waist. And again, I know you don't have to be a lean, mean fighting machine all the time, but I just don't feel like he looked ready there. So that's just, I, I don't think he's been the same. I think he changed camp a couple of times. I know that he's left Mark Lehman. I don't know if that was a wise decision. You know, again, I don't know who's fronting his fight camps, but he just didn't look like he used to look coming into coming into camp, coming into a fight. Uh, are you done with watching BJ Penn fights? I was done a long time ago. He's one of my favorite fighters, and now I don't want to see it. It's what if you can't beat a, a mid-level guy in your weight class? Like these guys, no one's telling them to re- like you've got to really tell these guys to retire because nothing's going to satisfy a BJ Penn or these higher-level guys until they win high-level fights. But they're not; they're capable of winning fights. That was a competitive fight. He's capable of winning fights, but he's not capable of winning fights that are going to satisfy his need to fight. Like if he had won that fight, unless he was telling me he was going to retire off that fight, which I doubt he was, it was pointless. Where was it getting him? He can't fight at the upper echelon of this weight class like he used to dominate. So I feel like there's no point in coming back because that's what he needs and that's what he wants again, and that's not going to happen. So how do we stop BJ Penn from competing? Because, I mean, my tweet after the fight was, I hope he realizes, his family realizes, the UFC realizes, the commissions realize that we love this guy, but it's done. It's done. It can't happen anymore. It's got to be between family, friends, and BJ, the truth, I think, because it's always going to be in BJ, and I understand that. But BJ's got to start to realize that he's bigger than fighting. You know, it's hard to identify as an athlete. Sometimes you... You're identified as BJ Penn, the, one of the greatest of all time fighters. So when you're not fighting, you've lost your identity. So he's got to find something else to identify with, like being, you know, the number one chauffeur like me for his kids. I don't know, but he's got to find something to identify with that still fills that need and that gap for him. And that has to come, I believe, from family and friends in his supporting cast saying, listen, you're so much bigger than just being that athlete. You know, as big as that was, there's bigger things here for you. Anything else come from the UFC show that you thought, hmm, yay, nay, good, bad? The women's fight. Well, you know, we've, we haven't talked about Poopgate. <laughs> I tried to uh, avoid it. Well, I mean, <laughs> it happens, right? But the funny thing is, like, I think this is good for her because it took away – because the only thing that came out of for, – for me, the only thing that came out of this fight is that she's tough as shit. No pun intended. <laughs> but skill-wise, she wasn't there. Like, she shouldn't, I don't, again, I don't know what it takes to be 6-0 in that division, but she was not there. And was that 6-0, what was she in the UFC? Was that her first UFC fight? I think she was 2-0 in the UFC. See, like, to me, she just didn't look to have the overall skill. She had the overall toughness, but her overall skill did not show in that fight at all. Misha Tate, or not Misha Tate. Um, Felice Herring. Felice Herring sort of outskilled her in every area of that game there. Um other than toughness. And it's funny because the whole time I'm like, well, if this girl just keeps in here, she might, you know, lay her hands on, you know, Felicia and, and go with this, but just outskilled from start to finish. You know, it's sometimes Pearson makes it like he's painfully blunt about stuff because he'll say things like nobody cares about Ryan Bader or Phil Davis. And outside of our bubble, do they? I don't think they do. No. Yeah. No, and that's that's something I talk about a lot in in a lot of the articles that I write for Fightful is our bubble, 
you know, I'm catering to our bubble. The podcast is a little bit different. We're trying to get it up there more. But if you're going to visit Fightful, uh, you are in a combat sports bubble, specifically Fightful MMA. You're in the MMA bubble, right? We want to get it out there to more people. That's why we rely on you, ladies and gentlemen, to, to tell a friend or tell 10 friends, according to Sean, to just tell, you know, we've got fantastic content here. I mean, Frank Trigg and, and Sean Pearson alone uh, give us great stuff. Um, but yeah, Pearson is as blunt as you get, man. I've known this guy forever, and he's just, you know, try being in a bar with this guy. You know, try going to our local establishment here, and uh, we got a bunch in, in the town that we live in, but to go watch a UFC or just to hang out, he's going to call it spade a spade. He calls it like it is. You know, there's no lying about him. And if, if he ever gets on a roll, if he gets that extra energy up, you just better step back and let him go because that's what he does. And he's fearless with his opinion. So, but he's right half the time, right? Not sure I agree with the Yamasaki thing, but yeah, he's, he's going to say what he has to say. I mean, Fedor pushing 80. Oops. Speak, speaking okay. of saying what you need to say, uh, Vanderlei Silva <laughs> released this statement on Instagram where he said, I trained so hard for this fight and he just kept grabbing me, but it's okay. Talking about Sun and. You are an alleged black belt in Brazilian jiu-jitsu. Alleged. I've seen nothing to indicate that that is actually true. Kind of weird. Yeah. Well, Vanderlei does, again, he operates in a completely different frequency. He's not even on the Diaz frequency, but it's different. But at the same time, it's mixed martial arts. Sorry. Uh, And you're a veteran, you know. Um, You know, I love Vanderlei, you know, but you got to get up. And you can't tell me training for a guy like Chael Sonnen, did you not work, A, defending takedowns, B, getting taken down, and doing anything and everything possible to get back up? Didn't look like it. Didn't look like it to me either. Or maybe he was, he just wasn't skilled enough to do so. I got a question. I got a question for you. Uh, Mauro Ranallo, he's calling NXT now. He had that spat with WWE where... Vince McMahon was always in his ear. JBL was giving him crap, all this stuff. He's now calling NXT, which is like a hybrid developmental brand, but also their third brand as well, in addition to Raw and SmackDown. It's where they send some guys to season, and they just send some guys like to, to kind of work with the guys that are seasoned. But it's a very popular brand, kind of like a cult thing. He's calling that action. Chris Cyborg tweeted that seeing Morrow commentating NXT makes her want to get into the wrestling ring. I could think of far worse ideas for Chris Cyborg. I don't think that she could cut a promo to save her life, but I saw a video of her grappling with, or not grappling, like kind of just doing some off-the-cuff pro wrestling training with a girl who wrestled in TNA, and she wasn't very good. This woman that she was wrestling with was maybe one of the worst people on the Tough Enough reality show that they had a couple years ago, and she looked pretty good. She looked pretty good. I don't think that that's out of the question for Chris Cyborg. It is while she is under UFC contract, but I think that'd be a smart career move for her. I think it'd be a fantastic career move for her. The question I have for you, though, being um, a professional wrestling aficionado, do we have examples? I'm sure there are many. But do we have examples off the top of your head, high-level examples of wrestlers who were never really able to cut a promo because their English wasn't the greatest, yet some way, somehow, the WWF at the time or WWE were able to – or you know, even go back to the Turner days, WCW, where they had wrestlers that you know maybe couldn't cut promos but were damn good. We're, we're starting to see that a lot more now, but Shinsuke Nakamura is going to be one who – 
is Japanese, and he actually fought in MMA, uh, but he actually used to room with Lyoto Machida and Daniel Bryan of WWE fame, which is a funny story in its own, but Brock Lesnar speaks perfect English. For MMA, he cuts a great promo. For pro wrestling, he doesn't. So they have Paul Heyman do it. Chris Cyborg would need somebody like that. Either that or she just doesn't talk. She shows up and beats people up and she leaves and that's how she gets over. Because Gil- Bill Goldberg didn't cut good promos. He beat people up and he left. Uh, Chris Cyborg is more than capable of doing that. I don't know if the travel would be with her or if she would like that. Also, she seems to clash an awful lot with authority as it pertains to UFC, Invicta, Strike Force, anything like that. So... I don't know that she would work well with some of the people in WWE, especially where they control your fate, and they they like to control a lot of those aspects. But I think she could – you know what? There's nothing to say she couldn't run a Brock Lesnar deal and show up there once every few months. Uh, there's nothing to say that Ronda Rousey couldn't do the same, and then the first time we ever see Rousey versus Cyborg is in a WWE ring because I thought that's how we were going to see McGregor Mayweather. But – yeah, I think I think it's a smart move for, on her part to at least get it out there. Uh, WWE a couple years ago, they wanted Jessamine Duke real bad. They wanted yeah. her so bad. This six foot tall girl who can kick ass and train with Ronda Rousey. And I was always telling Jessamine, do it now, do it now, do it now. Unfortunately for her, she lost a bunch of fights. Ronda Rousey lost a bunch of fights. So you never know where that interest level is. I know Shayna Baszler is going to be set for a WWE tournament later this year. That's promising, especially considering her age. But we're starting to see it. Sonya Deville, who uh, her real name is Daria Baronado. She was actually on that aforementioned season of Tough Enough. She's running an MMA gimmick in NXT right now. So I'm, uh, I'm excited to see how that adapts and changes because we've seen it in men's wrestling for a long time. But I'm ready to see it, it, it affect the uh, women's MMA. Hey, I mean... One of the Gracies married Eve Torres, who was a former WWE Divas champion. And I'm sitting there thinking, man, if she were there now, she would be able to to bring something that nobody else can, too. So, yeah, good call. Yeah, it'd be interesting to see what happens there. But I think, uh, yeah, just you, you don't have to reinvent the wheel when it comes to cyborg and professional wrestling. You just got to look at your past and see, or look at the past to see what's uh, a proper way to do it. One thing that I don't know if, we've, if we discussed clearly on Saturday. Uh, or excuse me, Sunday night when we did the post-event podcast, we're wrapping up the two events. Clay Guida at 155 pounds comes back and takes out Eric Koch, who you basically stated, uh, and I, I respectfully agree, to be honest with you, uh, wasn't able to defend much, got taken down, and then wasn't able to get out of mount, and was literally just bringing his legs up to put him under the armpits of Clay Guida to prevent getting punched in the face. That's not the defense you want to use. Uh, you can The best you can call that is what, a, a stall tactic? Uh, but that's not how you want to get out. There's many different ways to escape mount. Uh, then again, I'm not getting punched in the head by Clay Guida. But Clay Guida does emerge victorious. He returns to the weight class where he he found the most success in. Uh, now he's back at it. When you look up and down those rankings, is Clay Guida a threat to anyone in that top 15? May, maybe Gilbert Melendez. That's probably it, I think. But the thing is, he has a real habit a good habit of making fights ugly when they shouldn't be ugly. Like, do I think that he could beat an Evan Dudham? Yeah, sure. Why not? Do I think he could beat an Ally Aquinta if I Ally Aquinta like takes another two years off? Yeah, I don't see why not. Uh, 
could he beat Nate Diaz? Yeah, he could. He could beat Nate Diaz. There's no, there's no reason he couldn't beat a Nate Diaz. Michael Johnson, you never know who Michael Johnson's going to beat on any given night. So yeah, there are a few people I think he could be a threat to, but do I think he's a top 15 fighter? No, I do not. But is he a threat to several of those guys in the top 15? Yes, because he's Clay Guida, and that's just how he that's how he is. Carlos Barza mentioned that she's not in any rush to rematch Johanna Jacek. Yeah, she shouldn't be. It's a smart, smart thing to say. What do you do if you're the likes of, of Carlos Barza and others that have competed against Johanna and <laughs> you're in that division and realize, whew, I don't want to do that again. Ask when the UFC's do, running that 125 season a tough. That's what you do. And hope that Joanna doesn't ask the same question. <laughs> yeah, very true. Very true. Um, have you decided who uh, Dominic Reyes is going to fight next? Patrick Cummins, because I want to see how Patrick Cummins reacts to that punch. I <laughs> I agree with you, but not in the same context as you ended the statement. Uh, I do like that fight, though. I think Tyson that would Pedro, help. I, I say throw him right to the Wolves. Top 15 guy. He might... For all we know, he could be the next John Jones. You know what's funny, Joe? It's crazy because I, I'll i never forget watching John Jones' German suplex Stefan Bonner. And I was sitting you at... You see 100 a, prelims. I, I or It wasn't the 100 prelims. It was before that. He fought um, Jake O'Brien at the UFC 100 prelims. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. So that's how long John Jones has been around and people don't realize it. But I remember I was sitting in a place in Moorhead, Kentucky called The Front Porch. And they would always show the fights on a projector screen there. And all throughout um, that, or it was the prior year, because this was January 2009. But it was like April, May, June of 2008. I would check regional results for the Northeast. And I kept seeing John Jones, John Jones, John Jones. It was like every single week. And I was like, God, how many John Joneses are out there in the Northeast right now? And I just I just remember thinking that because he fought like three times in April, one time in May, June, July, and then he debuted in August. I was like, oh, that was the same one. That was one guy. And he beat Gusamau, and that was short notice. But then the, the manner in which he beat Stefan Bonner, I saw that German suplex and the double overhook suplex, and I thought to myself, future world champion, and it ain't going to be long, but... Nobody could have known it was as soon as it was, and it would be as dominant as it was. You look at a guy at light heavyweight that can do things that like this guy is doing, and I think there's no reason he couldn't do that. He couldn't step right in the cage and knock Patrick Cummins out. Because we've seen how Patrick Cummins reacts to a punch. Anybody who did their homework ahead of that Patrick Cummins-Cormier fight and watched Cummins' first MMA fight when he fought a dude who was way out of shape and got hurt by that guy knows the scouting report on him, and that scouting report does not match up with Dominic Reyes. So if I'm the UFC, Patrick Cummins, well, he won't figuratively get hurt. He'll literally get hurt by this, but like him losing to a Dom Reyes isn't like a career killer for him. He's going to hang around for, for a few years. Absolutely. Uh, come this Saturday, there are no events, and thankfully... That for is PFL? Hold on. Hold on. Okay, fine. PFL. All right. Um, but come July 1st, this Saturday, it is Canada Day, 150th edition of Canada Day, our anniversary. Uh, we are going to be celebrating, uh, but there won't be a UFC event. In fact, there won't be a UFC event till July 
7th, uh, which would be the Ultimate Fighter finale, a Friday. And then I will be home in time to talk some New Japan G1 special. I'm going to watch the Pacquiao Horn fight on ESPN. Hey, there's one championship is this weekend. You're not going to watch one championship or LFA 15, Odoms versus Vandera. You're not going to watch Combate Americas, Joe. King of the Cage is running a show. Combate, I won't. I got a bit of beef with them. But uh, other than the Pancreas is sick. Love Pancreas. I might watch some of the shows. One, I'll probably I, – I can record that and watch it. But, uh, yeah, my goal this weekend, um, probably address my new channel because, A, it's Canada Day. So it is going to be uh, – and then Sunday, still the long weekend here. We're heading – we cook a fair amount of meat. Uh, the wife uh, – the greatest broccoli salad on the – nutrition and check. My cousins all eat is to make sure that when I'm back here next week on Tuesday or a middleweight, I continue to look like I'm a welterweight. That's my natural walking around weight. So uh, that'll be my issue this weekend. But uh, but yeah, it's going to be a lot of fun. What else do you got going on? Uh, Fightful podcast the next day, but I can fly forth. Very true. Oh, I'm going to be wearing star-spangled clothes all next week on the show. Here's one for (laughs) you on the Pancrase show that's on July 2nd. Yuki Kondo versus Ikushi Minowa. Holy smokes. A rematch 20 years in the making. Pancreas, Japan's version of Bellator? It is a rematch, yeah. Yeah, 20 years ago. But yeah, that's to me, I don't know why that's not the main event. Just make that the main event, fools. They could. They should. But they didn't. What yeah. else? That's it. Uh, visit us at FightfulPods.com. I believe Carlos and Steve will be bringing a post-show podcast after Pacquiao Horn. I can't say that for certain. Uh, schedules do kind of run into each other. But we have new visual changes at Fightful.com. I want you guys to go use the, those Fightful forums that we have up and running. There was a great thread about favorite wrestling video games. I would love to see one about favorite MMA video games. Uh, use those. You can talk about anything over there and ask us questions. Also... Now, we're only about 4,500 in, but when we get to 20,000 followers, that guitar, I'm giving it away. The Jeff Jarrett Laser Engraved Guitar. So subscribe, thumbs us up, all kinds of good stuff. We really appreciate it. I love, uh, I love doing these shows. Oh, I love it. I could talk MMA all day, every day, uh, and I get to do it with Sean Ross Sapp, which is even crazier and funny, and we get crazy guests. Uh, hopefully next week. I was supposed to have uh, a UFC fighter join us this week, but he wasn't at the training facility that he was supposed to be. He had to go uh, to another city to get some training in, so he may join us next week. Uh, I may have a pretty prominent trainer to join us next week. I'm working on that as we speak. Uh, so there may not be a trig. There may not be uh, – well, we probably won't, won't need trig because there's no real – well, there might be refereeing con- controversies, but <laughs> not in, in the big shows. So we'll see. And uh, Pearson will probably be doing stuff with the family, the two boys, professional chauffeur that he mentioned. Uh, so next week we'll have some interesting guests. Uh, but until then, we thank everyone that joined us live. We thank everyone uh, who also joins us afterwards on iTunes and on Stitcher. Uh, to all of you crazy savages on the live chat, we thank you as well. As always, ladies and gentlemen who are out there, uh, we thank you for, for posting your thoughts and comments. We get to them as much as we can. We read them throughout the show. Uh, some people get banned. 
as I noticed, but <laughs> I hear you. I see it. Uh, but yeah, thank you guys very much. Thank you, girls, very much. Until next week, do not forget, Tuesdays, 3 p.m. Eastern, Sean Rossap at Sean Rossap on social media. Yours truly at Showdown Joe on social media at Fightful. We will join you once again for the Holy Smokes podcast. Until then, goodbye. Spring is in the air at Littleton Coin Company, and we want to help you brighten your collection. Visit us at littletoncoin.com all month long to enjoy 15% off your purchase. With a wide selection of coins, paper money, supplies, and more, Littleton Coin Company has something for every collector's taste. Use promo code SPRING at littletoncoin.com for 15% off your purchase all month long. Restrictions apply. Littleton Coin Company. Serving collectors since 1945. American Giant makes great clothing, sweatshirts, jeans, and more right here in the U.S. Visit American-Giant.com and get 20% off your first order with code STAPLE20. That's 20% off your first order at American-Giant.com, code STAPLE20.